All the girls are complicated. episode 89 of the Christian Feminist Podcast on the film Legally Blonde. I'm Katie Grubbs, and with me today are Christina Bieber-Lake and Sarah Kluster. Hi, Christina and Sarah. Hello. Uh, We're just going to go around quickly, even though we're all repeat uh, panelists, and we're just going to introduce ourselves, and uh, we're going to start with Christina. Yes, hi, I'm Christina Bieber-Lake. I uh, teach English at Wheaton College, and for some reason, one of my neighbors is blowing off fireworks, so that's what you hear in the background. And um, I have been a fan of this film for a really long time, and I'm super excited to be talking with Katie and Sarah tonight. Awesome. Thanks. Sarah, how about you? Hi, uh, my name is Sarah Kluster. For, uh, those, uh, for those listeners who have been listening to uh, Christian Feminist for a while, I was previously Sarah Davis, but I got married over the summer, and I am... I'm excited to be back, and I now live and work in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Thanks. I'm Katie Grubbs. I live in Houston, Texas. I'm um, an adjunct English professor at Houston Baptist University and also uh, a Bible study teacher. And uh, this semester is really fun. I'm teaching a class for the second time, so I get to make it even better. I'm teaching a class about um, sort of uh, overlooked women of the Bible. Uh, women who don't get a lot of press, so there's no Ruth or Esther. We're talking about people like JL and the Shunammite woman and um, all kinds of uh, kind of side characters, you might say, and that's been super fun. And uh, also I have four children and because uh, I had a baby back in May, and I think I've recorded an episode since then. But um, anyway, I'm very excited to be talking about Legally Blonde tonight, and I'm going to go ahead and um, just do a little brief uh little brief bit about why I wanted to talk about this movie Um, because it did come out a long time ago (laughs) Um, it's not recent but it's a it's a film that I think has been uh, beloved by lots of different people and I think it has some things to say about feminism um, and about what it means to be a strong woman Um, but also it is it has been a a slightly more timely this year because um, there's been an announcement in June that there is now going to be a third Legally Blonde movie, which is, um, I found out today, scheduled for release Valentine's Day 2020. And uh, Reese Witherspoon confirmed it, I think, on her Instagram or Twitter or something back in June. Um, Also, it was in the news earlier this summer because uh, a story broke in May about a uh, a journalist, Lucy Ford, who actually wrote her her dissertation, her university dissertation, about Legally Blonde. And uh, at a press junket for A Wrinkle in Time, gave it to Reese Witherspoon and told her how much the movie meant to her. And the story kind of went viral. And um, the dissertation was scented that she gave to Reese Witherspoon. So that was a nice touch. Um, Added a little something extra. And uh, so, you know, the name of this film has kind of been in the air a little bit uh, in the last couple of months. And so I wanted to go ahead and talk about it. Um, Before we get into uh, more information about the film... I just kind of wanted to talk for a little while about, um, well, actually, no, 
before we talk about um, the personal stuff, let's do just give a little bit of brief background, just in case any of you listeners um, are not familiar with the film. So for that, um, Sarah's going to give us just a little bit of brief background on this movie. Okay, ladies. So Legally Blonde is a 2001 comedy uh, starring uh, Reese Witherspoon as our uh, main character, Elle Woods. And I found out when I was rewatching the movie yesterday that it is actually based on a book by the same name uh, by Amanda Brown that is uh, details her experience attending Stanford Law. And at first I got very excited about this and I was wondering how could this book have been out and I, I couldn't have known about it, but uh, the book Legally Blonde was published uh, at the beginning of June of 2011 and the movie came out at the end of July in two, sorry, it came out in 2001 and the movie came out in 2001 as well. And so it, it seems to be one of those things that she maybe sold the idea um, to a publishing house and someone thought it just sounded like a great movie. So they kind of came out um, at the same time. Um, the only difference is um, in the movie, Elle attends Harvard and in the uh, book, she attends Stanford and it's uh, is apparently there is a there's kind of like a legally blonde kind of cinematic universe there um, there's a direct to TV uh, video there is the much much worse um, sequel legally blonde red white and legally blonde red white and blonde that came out a couple of years later and there is also a musical based off of this. Um, some of the other actors, Luke Wilson uh, plays one of the love interests. Matthew Davis is one of the love interests. Selma Blair um, is in this. Victor Garber, Jennifer Coolidge, who also has uh, lots of fame in uh, teen comedies, more well-known um, to some as Stifler's mom from the American Pie movies. Ellie Larder, Linda Cardellini. So there are a lot of people who were... Uh, pretty famous. Um, obviously, this is kind of the role that really kind of shoots Reese Witherspoon kind of into the rom-com stratosphere. She had kind of done a couple of other stuff earlier, like Election, but this is the thing that kind of makes her a really, really big household name. And yeah, uh, it's, uh, came, yeah, came out in 2001. And uh, for a pretty modest budget of 18 million, it uh, raked in 140 million. Whoa. I did not know that. That's awesome. Um, well, let's, so let's, before we get um, to some more deeper discussion, let, we're going to go ahead and talk about our personal connections to this film. Um, when did we first see it? You know, what did we like about it? And uh, why don't you start us off with that, Christina? Okay. I have to tell you, the fireworks have not abated here. So I don't know what's going on with that. But um, I first saw this film in the theater. I had, I had recently started teaching uh, at college and uh, a friend of mine was visiting an undergraduate friend of mine was visiting and she said I mean a friend from my undergraduate years and she said oh you've got to see this film Legally Blonde and I said what why would I see this film called Legally Blonde and with you know a very ditzy looking blonde Reese, Reese Witherspoon and she said trust me you've got to go and see it so I went to it and I just couldn't believe what I saw. I was, I, I laughed so hard. I thought it was so smart and um, 
so different from anything else I'd ever seen and certainly not what I was expecting. And so I became an instant fan and I've seen it multiple times uh, since then. So I'm excited to be talking about it because I, I do think it's doing some very interesting things. How about you, Sarah? Well, I would have seen this uh, when it came out. So I would have been in the ninth grade or so, I think probably when it came out, maybe just finishing. And um, this was, one of those movies that to me um, gave me this like, oh, this is exactly what college is going to be like. Kind of like when you were a kid and you thought, oh, you, when you thought <laughs> it was going to be like saved by the bell and you got there and you're like, oh no, this is very different. Very much kind of the same thing that, you know, this um, idealized version of um, college and graduate school and all of that kind of stuff and sorority life. And one of the things I remember loving about it is, you know, she was blonde and I, for a large portion of my life, was a fake blonde. But many people said that it suit that being a fake blonde suited my personality quite well. So I, I really identified with her character. And even sometimes when I would, uh, after I had graduated and gone to work and everything, you would I'd sometimes have people who would say, you know, are you dressing a little pink? Really? Like, yeah, I can wear pink when I testify at court. It's fine. Um, and so I, I always loved the how she, um, at the end of the movie, she she really kind of comes into her own and realizes that the way she dresses and the way she looks does not have to define her um, her intellectual or academic achievements. And many times we treat act as if it should. Thanks so much. Um, I uh, I saw this movie in the, in the theater uh beginning of I think it was beginning uh, of my junior year of, of high school it was actually the my first assignment as a staff writer for our high school newspaper was to write a movie review of this movie and so I went there partially because I wanted to see the movie but also because it was right it was a job and I was um, so I was taking notes and I loved the movie and it kind of became one of my favorites immediately as as Christina said um, another reason this movie has resonated with me a lot for a long time is because I kind of had a I had a legally blonde-esque experience, I guess, in, in my first year of graduate school. And, you know, I went in, I went straight from, from undergrad to graduate school. So I was about 20, well, I was 22 when I started in my master's degree. And um, I am a, a, a pretty bubbly person by nature, you know, pretty outgoing, talkative. Um, at that stage, which and I'm not going to pretend the stage is completely ended at that stage, I really enjoyed carrying super large purses. And I still remember that the purse I was carrying that fall had giant zippers on it or something like it was, you know, it was fashionable. I thought it was fashionable. Um, I was blonde, um, naturally. So, cause I, you know, I was a natural blonde my whole life and then my hair turned dark after I had babies, but I had a professor in my first semester um, who was very much like Professor uh, Stromwell in the movie, um, but even meaner. And, but not to everyone, um, and I'm not going to say her name because the story ends happily and I don't want to be ugly, um, but I had this particular professor, um, I think, like many people think of Elwood's in the movie, I think that she thought it was unserious. Um, I think she thought I was playing at graduate school. Um, you know, she would, uh, she treated me differently. Me, and it wasn't just me. There was another girl in our class, um, our friend Marsha, also blonde. 
um, also very outgoing. Um, she would wear sundresses to class, beautiful sundresses, and both of us, our professor, just seemed to not like. Um, Victoria was also in that class, so Victoria can be my witness. She's not on the podcast this time, but um, if anybody thinks mm-hmm. the story is made up, ask Victoria, because she was in that class with me. She did not treat Victoria that way, um, and she didn't treat any of the guys in the class that way. Just me and our mm-hmm. friend, Marsha. We were both kind of happy blonde girls, and um, she was just very short. I remember one day in class I said something, or I didn't understand something she said, so I asked her to clarify, and she kind of snapped back, like, no, that's just how it is, and, and kind of lost her temper with me a little bit, and I thought, am I crazy, or was that mean? And I looked across the, the table, and Victoria's eyes were giant. She was looking at me like, what mm-hmm. was that? Like, you know, um, but the crazy thing is, and this is why she reminds me of Professor Strommel in the movie, um, she treated me that way the whole semester. At the end of the semester, I turned in my final project. She graded it. I got a good grade. After the class was over, after she'd seen my work, she treated me completely differently. So after the end of the class, I I never took another class with her, not because I hated her that much, just because I didn't have to. It was a discipline that was not my specialty. But every time I saw her in the hallway after that, she would smile at me, and she would say, hey, and, and treat me very kindly. And so I, maybe it was a test. Maybe she was testing me. I don't know. But I remember at the time thinking, this is just like illegally blonde. Like, and feeling mm-hmm. kind of like righteously annoyed about it, you know, like she's underestimating me, you know. So that I always think about that movie whenever I think about that time, right, in, um, in my life. That was one of the times in my life when I felt underestimated. And nobody mm-hmm. likes that, right, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, as, as I said, that story ended happily, and she she ended up treating me totally differently in the end. But for a couple of months there, it was you know, I had a hard time because I I felt like she thought that I was uh the way Elle Woods appears to be, right? Um, and we're gonna talk about mm-hmm. that too. Um, so um before we uh kind of get into just some some discussion questions we want to talk about tonight, for anybody who still does not has not seen the movie and doesn't have any idea what we're talking about. Um, Christina is going to give us a little bit of a plot summary, just just to kind of give a little bit of clarification. So why don't you go ahead, Christina? Sure. Well, it starts out at the sorority uh, Delta Nu, and uh, it's it's a very happy scene of Elle and her sisters there at the sorority, and uh, very light, very fluffy people doing exercises. <laughs> it's a very funny scene, and it's all to set up that Elle is going to have this date with the person that she thinks is going to. <clears throat> being uh, going to pop the question, Warner Huntington III. And instead of popping the question, he actually dumps her because he's going off to law school and he needs a serious girlfriend. He has to, quote, stop dicking around. And he says, I need to marry a Jackie, not a Maryland. <laughs> so so he harsh. Goes off to, <laughs> so harsh. He goes off to Harvard Law School and she's so furious at being um, too blonde for him, basically, that she decides to apply herself. And so she studies, passes the LSAT, puts together her hilarious video application, um, which I just was laughing so hard in that scene when I first saw it. I, I, I just was crying. Um, and then uh, she plans to ca- sort of casually bump into Warner and, and kind of you know win him over. But while she's there... Things start changing. She succeeds in surprising ways. She gets put on this team with one of the attorneys. And uh, through that, she uh, shows that her expertise in actually having a fashion major enables her to win cases, plus obviously her just native intelligence. Uh, It's not just that she has special knowledge in the fashion industry. And then she graduates um, just to kind of condense a lot into to a little space. 
Thanks. Um, and actually, that's I, I, I like that you mentioned that everything begins in the sorority house because one of the things that we're going to talk about actually first because it's very much apparent and especially the beginning of the movie is um, Greek life. And so I wanted to ask Sarah because she was actually involved in it. What what kinds of things is this movie saying about Greek life? Well, the thing that I I, I pledged um, at Baylor uh, Kappa Delta, so AOT to all my sisters who are listening. Um, I pledged Kappa Delta probably about two or three years after this movie came out. And so going into, and so this really set my idea of what a sorority was going to be. And one of the things, (laughs) yeah, I know it's ridiculous. Um, but you know, I was, you know, 15 when I saw it, I was 18 when I went to college and pledged. But one of the things I do love about it is that despite the fact that, you know, it's kind of, we, that some of the girls, you know, they're all exercising or they're putting on their makeup. Um, they, I love that it actually shows them all getting along and being supportive and liking each other so frequently. Um, Greek life is essentially 100% viewed as a negative. Um, and so you have movies like, uh, where, you know, it's these, incredibly horribly catty um sorority sisters who are just backstabbing each other and all they want to do is you know be queen bees or you have uh stories about greek life that are essentially animal house or something about oh the secret you know the secret harvard skulls and they have literal bodies that they're burying but every it's all very um it's typically portrayed very negatively and i loved that all of the sisters were very happy and supporting each other. Um, and I, I loved that you, you saw the different ages and everybody living in the house. Um, Baylor did not have sorority houses. We have a, we, uh, Baylor has a panhellenic building and each of the uh, sororities has a, an individual room. And so that's where you meet for meetings and to do um, ritual and all that kind of thing. But the thing that I think it really showed was one, that people actually doing things and being friends and being supportive of the other girls in your sorority. Again, I just thought that was really unique because you typically never see that. And that it's a huge, huge part of your social life. And it can be that in a very positive way. And it definitely was a very positive influence on my life. I went to school thinking like, I'm going to pledge. And everybody around me was kind of like, all my good friends from high school, everyone was kind of like, Really? that doesn't quite seem your thing. And like, because they questioned whether or not I could do it, that was like, yes, I am definitely going to pledge. Doesn't matter because <laughs> you thought I couldn't. Um, and there were a lot of really wonderful things that I got out of it. Um, some really great uh, long-term friendships. And I maintain that uh, my the job that I had in my sorority is the only thing that got me a job after school because I was an English major who graduated in 2008. And as I also say that even people with useful degrees couldn't get jobs in 2008. Um, And so being an English major, um, I had, uh, what I was able to do with my sorority is I had been, I was one of the people in charge of recruitment. And so uh, at least it's incredibly different now uh, with new technology. But at the time people had to send in paper references and I had to go through and I had to rank them. I had to assign them for people to talk to. I had to match people with who they were going to talk to when they came in through the party. That was all on me. And so 
I, it gave me lots of opportunities to work with budgets and to do these big projects and to do a lot of stuff and to really work uh, and do philanthropy, to develop leadership skills. And so I think it is something that when really properly applied um, is a very good thing. And you see that, and you see it serving the same role in Elle's life in the movie, that it provides a social outlet. She talks about her philanthropies that she did with it. It shows her visiting with her friends and then making a really big deal about someone getting engaged. And that's that's a really big thing. Uh, there are these things that lots of authorities do called candle passes. And if somebody gets engaged, so you bring a candle and it's supposed to be um, anonymous. And so you light the, at the end of the meeting, you turn off the lights and you light the candle and you like hold arms and you like turn the lights off until you pass the candle around and whoever it gets to, whoever is engaged, you blow it out. And then everybody like screams and cheers for you that you're engaged. Um, and so there are a lot of things that when they talk about that, that, you know, when I see it now, actually feel incredibly familiar to the Greek life, the positive experience that I had with my Greek life. Thanks for sharing. I, I love too. One of the things I really enjoy too, is that like you talked about the, that they, these girls have these positive relationships, you know, and a lot of the stuff you see going on in the introduction scene appear, maybe appear slightly frivolous in this, in that, you know, nobody's shown like studying, right? Like they're exercising, you know, or hanging out, practicing cheerleading moves. But when she decides that she is going to make this turn, into intense academic study because she's studying for the LSAT exam. Um, nobody makes fun of her in her sorority house. Nobody's kind of saying, like, that's stupid. Why are you doing that? Like, come have fun. Nobody tries to pull her away from her studies, tries to distract her, which I really appreciated. You know, nobody's trying to pull her down, even though she's trying to go a different way and it's causing her to step back a lot from those social obligations. And I thought that was really, really nice. Okay, um, so let, let's let's move to our first kind of question, um, which I mean is is, is a rather large question, um, which is that uh, what does this movie seem to be saying about feminism, or put a different way, about what it means to be a strong woman, perhaps? Well, I'll I'll start in on that. Um, one of the things that I really appreciated about this film is that like other films that are not films but works of art that are similar it it's acknowledging that if you take a topic that is really too hot to handle humor is the is the best way to handle it and the topic that's too hot to handle here is the the real fact that um, sexism and the workplace exists that people make snap snap judgments about your abilities like you were just talking about earlier Katie, just because you're a woman or if you look a particular way. And that's a very, very difficult issue. And instead of kind of shying away from it or trying to be uh, take a, a super serious approach to it, it just goes full on and just says, we're going to satirize this. We are going to show, you know, the, the ultimately hilarious example of, of, of how wrong this kind of judgment is. And I just love that. So that's my first comment about it. My second comment is that it's just so strong making the case that you have to be yourself. To be a feminist is to say, because I'm a woman, I don't have to be the way that you think a woman should be, uh, a strong woman should be. I'll be my own version of that. <clears throat> and 
I love that because it's just there's so many people in the world that will tell you that to be a feminist, to be a Christian, to be whatever, you have to look a certain way, and 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 you don't. <laughs> and and so the freedom that that should give people uh, to really embrace that is extraordinary. Sarah, how about you? I completely agree with you on that, Christina. One of the things I like that the movie kind of inverts this idea that because normally it's don't uh, don't judge people too harshly or don't uh, don't judge a book by its cover. That's always referred to as you know don't look at somebody who's frumpy, don't look at somebody who is not very pretty, and don't judge them by their cover. Um, and so I I like the fact that it actually does acknowledge that the reverse happens. Um, I have several friends who have had this happen to them in the sense that they're, they may be very lovely and maybe not blonde, but that if you are a beautiful woman, most people just presume that you, that frequently you are presumed to be maybe a little less capable because sometimes you just, you don't need to be as capable. What is kind of the idea, right? That Mm -hmm. Elle's talking with her parents and they're like, oh, even her parents are like, you're not you're not smart not that you're not smart but you're not serious and you're not boring and you don't need to worry about any of those things you can just marry well and be fine right and so the idea that that it can happen in reverse which I I think is really great and that it shows her living her brand of feminism in uh, juxtaposition with uh the initial rival of uh Vivian who is a girlfriend of Warner and she has that very kind of very stereotypical Connecticut cold resting. Yes. I'm sure I I know I'm not allowed to say the word, but that resting B face, like Claire is just rocking that um, the whole time. And then you also have the very typical uh, stereotypical, um, at the time, uh, what would have been considered this kind of far out uh, lesbian character in Enid, who is like, well, who is making, you know, who would say she is a very, very strong feminist and she is all pro women, but she's mm-hmm. also making those same negative uh, assumptions about our main character. And so I like that it, it contrasts her with these other kind of stereotypes. Yeah, yeah. I, I was talking to my husband this afternoon about how several of the kind of secondary characters um, kind of are, are, are a little more stereotypical. Enid's a great example, right? She's like, what, got her PhD in women's studies, like emphasis in history of combat, and she like punches the guy next to her, you know? Um, which mm-hmm. everybody, to me, there's this bit in the early in the movie that where there's an orientation circle when she's arrived oh, at law yes, school. And, right, yeah, I love that because everyone in that circle is a stereotype. Right. Like oh, yeah. Everybody, yeah. And, and it's really funny, you know, and then they deepen it. One of my favorite things about this movie in terms of what it seems to be saying about feminism or, or women is that um, nothing is um, nothing is a uh, surface and nothing's too simple. Right. So L is very traditionally feminine. Right. She's um, she wears pink all the time. She has long blonde curly hair, jewelry, perfume. Right. All this stuff. She carries around a tiny dog. Um, and. But she has these greater capabilities underneath. And we know, I I think this is really great too, um, from the beginning of the movie, we, the audience, know that she's really smart. There's a scene at the beginning of the film where um, a woman in a store tries to sell her, like upcharge her on a dress or something. 
And mm-hmm. she's not, and Elle's not mean about it, but she immediately corrects this woman and says, okay, um, I know that this is not um, brand new because I saw it last year in a magazine and also it's made of this fabric and you said that it was made of this fabric. Like she corrects her and just moves on. Like it's not a big production, but we can, we can tell that she's smart and that, um, that she just thus far hasn't been necessarily using those smarts for stuff um, like law school, you know. Um, but yeah. then... Right. Yeah. Like, but then by contrast, like you mentioned, Vivian, you know, Elle appears to be unfeminist in her bearing. I'll say it that way. But she finds her true potential. By contrast, Vivian, to me, looks and sounds right. But she's the one signing up to be the woman on the arm of the powerful man. Like, she's the one flashing her engagement ring. Mm -hmm. So even though Vivian's the serious law student in the beginning, she in many ways is in a behaving in a way that we might consider more unfeminist, maybe, than than Elle. Right. Because she's. Again, she's kind of obviously making this advantageous marriage, you know, even as she d- increasingly develops doubts about her fiance, right? Um, there's yeah. this part, right? Yeah, like when um, Elle has the alibi of their, the, the defendant and they want her to tell the alibi and she says, I can't do that. She kind of takes a stand and says, I'm not going to say that. She gave that to me in confidence. And um, Vivian kind of grudgingly respects that decision. Um, Warner says, forget about her. Look out for yourself. Like, you know, counsels yeah. her to be just cutthroat, and Vivian looks very troubled by this. Like, you know, that she didn't realize that that's the way that he would behave. Yeah, see, and the way the stereotypes work, I mean, this is the reason why the film is so, you know, effective, is it just goes full bore. It's it's satire, right? It's, it's the satirical mode. So we're going to go full bore into the stereotypes. And, and so Vivian ends up being asked to go get coffee and donuts. Um, L ends up being hit on, uh, you know, on this team, you know, so it's like, let's take all of these situations that, that do happen, but blow them in the most extreme kind of version of it so that we can really see it, right? It's an exaggeration. So we can really see that this, this happens uh, all the time um, to women in these situations. Um, and even the fact that she gets into law school, L does partly because she's got this application of her you know, uh, let's talk about that because yeah. I really want to talk about that. Yeah, I want to talk about that. <laughs> let's talk about that for a minute. Because it's so interesting seeing it now in the midst of the Me Too movement and everything. It, it, it just made me go back to my earlier point about stuff that's too hot to handle. You have to kind of laugh at because part of the reason why she gets in is because the men are all like, oh, yeah, look at her on the in a bikini on a raft in a swimming pool. And it's not that she's not qualified. It's just that they make excuses to let her in because they think she's hot, right? So it, yeah. it's this edgy kind of thing. Like, yeah, I love that there's kind of like, well, you know, uh, diversity and stuff. Um, yeah, yeah, diversity and stuff. <laughs> yes. well, and it's, it's kind of, and my next question was going to be, what do we find anything problematic about the film? To me, that's the most problematic moment because when we're confronted with sexism in the workplace later in the film, she immediately kind of shuts that down for one thing and but but then at the same time right yeah like is is has this video admissions essay for anybody who has not watched the movie in which she spends most of the time in a bikini and is you know um admitted you know because let's be honest if she had all her same qualifications she's you know she has a ba from a state college which is fine like she her qualifications are good well in fashion right in fashion right yeah they're not harvard good though like she really does get in because of her appearance 
yeah, and that yeah. is that's a little bit hard, you know. Even though in the end she obviously excels and she totally can hold her own. At the beginning, I remember even as a as a very young person seeing this the first time, being a little tiny bit troubled by that, thinking, "Well, okay, like, you know." But it gets her there, and like you said, Christina, I think to a certain degree it is. It's satire, right? Like, mm-hmm. and 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 she's almost playing with the stereotypes, right? What does she talk about? She talks about soap operas. She's wearing a bikini, mm-hmm. like. Well, I think yeah. part of it is is that uh, it's how she's the one who's choosing to use it to her advantage um, in the beginning versus at the end, somebody is trying to use that against her and take it from her without her consent, right? Sure. Yeah, totally. So I, so I think that's where the power difference comes from the same way that, you know, I, you know, I, if, when I go on a uh, job interviews, you know, I'm not wearing a bikini, but I am, you know, I'm doing my hair and, you know, I want to look. You're not, Sarah? What? <laughs> yeah. What? You know, there's not <laughs> much of a call for Princess Leia cosplayers these days, so I have to wear an actual suit. Um, but the idea being that I think for her, uh, the thing that makes it less problematic for me is she is choosing to use that to her advantage in the beginning versus um what you have with her professor Callahan at the end when he tries to um take advantage of her and say like hey hey you know everybody does this if you want to if you want to get ahead this is you're gonna you're gonna let me uh you're gonna have an affair with me or sleep with me or whatever kind of the nefarious implication is you know that is being done without her consent right um and so I think to me that's where the difference is and yeah she does get in kind of for her looks but she the thing that it also says is that she's like, well, she has a 179 on her LSAT, which is kind of like having an SAT score of like a one, like 1590 or something, like just this impossibly high uh, score. But to me, so that would be kind of where uh, uh, the difference was for me is that that's what it's kind of saying. And I, one of the female characters we haven't talked about at all is her friend, the nail technician, Paulette. Mm-hmm. Played yeah, let's by, talk about Paulette. Played by the wonderful Jennifer uh, Coolidge, and I love everything yeah, that yeah. they do with Paulette, with the exception of that weird dance scene that's kind of in the middle where they're doing yes. the snap, and I'm just... To me, that's the dumb problematic thing, because it just seems so random in the movie. Yeah, it doesn't uh, fit the tone of the rest of the film at all, I don't think. It, it, it doesn't. Um, and so I, I, I love her um, friendship with Paulette, because one, it really demonstrates I think this movie does a great job of going with that wonderful thing for storytelling is they, they show, they, they show don't tell. And so they're, they're demonstrating that Elle is not really stuck up because, you know, here is somebody who is uh, far below her on the socioeconomic scale, um, has an extremely different life, um, life experience. And Elle is like, Elle is happy to be her friend because she is a, uh, she is a because she is someone who is nice and who is kind to her when everyone else isn't, and so that they, they have enough stuff in common that they can reach out and they can be friends, even though you would look and be like, man, they like they don't really have anything going for them. And then Elle helps her helps build Paulette's um, confidence up, and so I I really love uh, Jennifer Coolidge's character because they they really both work to encourage each other, and I love that they're. Not only are they from different economic statuses, but they're also different ages. Yes. Which that, that kind of cross-age friendship is something that is incredibly important to women in real life, but you 
don't get, you don't really see it demonstrated much on film. Yeah, I think that's very important. And I, I think it actually links back to what I wanted to say about the admissions essay. I think that, yeah, it's, there's something problematic about it. But if you didn't put that in there, that there was an advantage to her being beautiful, then that would be false, right? Um, mm, yeah, I see the what reason, you're Right, the reason exactly. why she is, is uh, why it's not sort of ultimately problematic is because she's really earnest. She's not, um, it's not as if she's like, oh, I'm going to use my sexuality to get into law school. This is just who she is. Um, you know, and, and it's, it, it walks, I, I agree. It walks a very thin line, um, to make that statement, but that's what I also liked about her friendship with Paulette. This is just who she is. Uh, why do we think that sorority girls who are beautiful are necessarily stuck up? Why do we think that sorority girls who are beautiful are necessarily stupid? You know, all of these things that we necessarily think, um, have to be kind of peeled away. I mean, it's very interesting. I mean, I have a sister a younger sister who is um, a um, drop dead gorgeous, you know, model, head turner person. <laughs> so uh, it's I have an interesting perspective on this, both as somebody who is not like this and is a sister of somebody who is, but also just knowing that she's super smart and she sometimes doesn't get treated as super smart, but she also gets some advantages that she shouldn't get just because you know she can turn heads. So. It's just such a complicated thing, right? And and the film goes to make it look so simple in order to show that it's so complicated, which I think is really difficult to do, but somehow it gets away with it. Yeah, and I think I, Paulette is a great, is a great in, entrance too. And so I think there's some interesting things being said about class in this movie. And you guys already mentioned, right, she and Paulette are, are friends, even though they come from very different kind of socioeconomic realms. But there's also this whole thing happening with East Coast old money versus kind of West Coast L's parents seem to be kind of new money, you know. Um, definitely. Like, definitely new. Her dad drinks a martini all the time. Like uh -huh. at her graduation, he's got a martini. Her mom says, you know, you were runner up in the Miss Hawaiian Tropics pageant. Like, and but she, and she says to Warner when he's breaking up with her or whatever, he says, you know, hey, my family has expectations. My brother just got engaged to a Vanderbilt. And she says, what, because I'm not a Vanderbilt, I'm white trash? Like, you know, I grew up yes. across the street from Aaron Spelling. Like, you know, so her family has money, but not that kind of upper class cachet. Right. And so yes. she she's almost in this kind of middle ground between um, between kind of classes. And um, it's just it's interesting how it kind of plays out. And w that's one of the best things. And, and, you know, we can kind of segue a little bit and just keep talking about all this stuff, because I also asked you guys to think about themes. But mm -hmm. I think one of the themes that I see in this film that I think is is makes it such a, a, a really a pleasant film to watch and so much fun is that the biggest thing that you notice about her, the way they wrote her character is that she is kind to everyone. Yes. Right. She's this, she's not a popular girl who's gotten popular by being mean to other people. Like Sarah said, it's not mean girls, right? It's a totally different yes. realm because she's a genuinely kind to everyone. She comes across people insult her to her face and she, she does have yes. some kind of sassy comebacks in situations like that. But usually her response is to just move on. Um, she doesn't usually pay back, um, you know, ugly words for ugly words, which, you know, as Christians, that's one of the things we're meant to strive for, right? We're meant to, to turn the other cheek. We're meant to try to um, develop positive relationships with everyone around us. And, you know, and that's something she does in the movie. And it's not false. Like you guys said, she's so earnest. She helps people. She helps Paulette, you know, get her dog back. She helps David, the super nerdy guy, get a date. 
he's some girls are being mean to him they don't want to go out with him and she kind of walks up and mm-hmm. pretends like he went out with her and never called her and she's heartbroken yeah, about it i, I love like, that i'm watching that and i thought it was so funny that it was that basically she's going up to him and is accusing her him essentially of like sleeping with her and just never calling her back and then kind of goes off in a huff and then and then that's what impresses the other girls right they're like oh (laughs) i know right (laughs) i was like to me that was to me that was a random problematic thing that i saw that these women would be like oh he treats women like dirt like i know she makes him out to be kind of a lothario i guess and i don't know maybe they think that he's good in bed yeah the idea that like she's playing him against what that they presume he's going to just be this very nice sweet guy and oh well you have this wild part um which i guess is i mean that that's definitely that you know the why you know the handsome rogue is is a thing for a reason but i just i found that like very funny uh, that would not encourage me to want to date someone as you know you 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 had a one night stand with me and never called me back like that's not the kind of thing that i would i would go right? for you know to each lady her own um but yeah i think there you have I, the theme for, of Al with kind of kindness i think is is a really important thing um because you really do have that contrast with pretty much everybody else who is really kind of out for themselves at which is i and i something that we think about like for lawyers like you they're they're vicious they're bulldogs they're you know that's the way they have to be yeah and, sure and so, in a sense, you kind of get that, but, and mm-hmm. I will say, the, the one thing I will say, at least pro-Vivian, at least early in the movie, is Vivian's not an idiot. She knows that Elle is there to get her boyfriend back, so I don't quite blame Vivian as much for being like, look, I know you're trying to steal him back away, so I don't quite blame her for not liking Elle, but the way she goes about it is obviously not nice. Yeah, it just occurred to me when we were talking that I think that this is the thing that becomes the seed that, you know, gets planted in Amy Poehler's mind when she creates Parks and Recreation. I just realized that it's there's the same affability. And I think what it is, is self-assurance. They're just self-assured, right? Mm, and okay, and yeah. being self-assured yeah. is a very attractive quality. And that is what makes people like her. Yeah, she's beautiful and all that, but it's not a. It, she's not um, self-assured because she's beautiful, you know. That and, makes sense. And, and I, I and I find that very appealing. I have a question for you two ladies. It's not on our uh, little question list, but so we've talked about what this says about feminism and everything. But what do, what does this film say about education and how that process works? Because I was look, I was you know. I was watching it and you have these, you know, wonderful shots of Harvard and they actually got to film there. Um, or at least they got to film the exteriors there. I think all, apparently um, all the classroom uh, shots were just at a community college somewhere um, in California, but the exterior shots were at Harvard. Uh, what is, what does this film say about the, I guess the importance of education? Cause the thing that you see, or at least that I notice is, you know, Elle, she likes her subject. She has a 4.0. She's able, she knows, information about fashion merchandising but she does get to harvard and she is grossly underprepared because she doesn't seem to really know what exactly how intense that that level of education is going to be you see it in the front where the beginning where she has like a small almost like 
thing of uh, sticky notes, and everybody else has these massive binders or laptops. Yeah, um, yeah and, and, and her pen has feathers on it. Yeah, and, so, pen. and she has a little heart notebook, right? And so yeah. it's like, you know, and again, I'm sitting here thinking, like, if I were, you know, I don't really blame Professor, like, Stromwell, the Holland Taylor character, for being like, really girl like did you not know what you were signing up for and in a sense Elle doesn't because she she her goal was to get there her goal wasn't anything higher than that her goal was to get there and get Warner back and so she she has to reassess what she wants that goal to be right and once she does that then she's able to actually start excelling but she had to she has to have a higher goal than just getting there right mm-hmm. that's yeah. why I think it's so funny that it was set in at Harvard because it just wouldn't work at Stanford the same way, not just because of that old money, new money, which is totally right, but also that West Coast, East Coast, you know, mentality, even about education. It's just totally different. Yeah. And it is interesting, too, that which and I'll back up and we I, I don't know somebody listeners, if you're a lawyer, fact check us on this. But this this is the first time I ever remember thinking when I was watching this, that the premise of this film that um that the that the uh pro- professor buchanan i think his name is buchanan he's so overwhelmed because of this murder case that he's that usually when even though he usually only takes on second year interns he's taking on first year interns watching it this time that premise seemed ridiculous to me that he would have first year interns they've been in law school for like three months um yeah in the court in the courtroom yeah. like that seemed ridiculous um because yeah, it where, probably is and i'm thinking where are the two wells like in three L's, like why aren't they yeah. here? They're probably mad, right? But for the movie, right, it has to. Yeah. This is what has to happen. Um, but but you're right. It's interesting what you like you said, Sarah, to see her goals shift, right? And I I noticed this time because you know at one point she has this moment where she says to Warner, um, like he says, you're you're never gonna get an internship. You're not smart enough, sweetie, right, sweetie. Ugh. And she kind of says, well, hold on. Um, we took the same LSATs. We're taking the same classes. Basically yes. saying you know, okay, like, but I'm doing the same work. And she says, I'm never going to be good enough for you, am I? And kind of realizes this is never actually going to work. I've become a serious person and he still doesn't want me. And at that point, I feel like most people would go home. But she kind of, I think she she seems to realize that she has a new goal, which is that now her new goal is to prove to everyone that she can do it. Yes. You know, And, and, and in the process, then she starts to get interested. She starts to enjoy herself, I think. And she really does get interested in the, in the subject. Um, but it's, and, and, and I, I liked too that, um, that there was this kind of, um, suggestion too. And I, and I don't know if this is true or false again to law school. Cause I know what grad school is like. I have no idea what law school is like. Um, but she also seems to be working in isolation, right? Everybody else is in a study group and they won't let her in mm-hmm. to the study group. And so they're all studying together. So how much harder is that making her road that she's having to walk, that she's studying alone? for these, you know, for this, these classes. Um, I do also like what my, just because I feel like I'm getting wide of the idea of education, Sarah, and that was your question. One of the things I really like about education wise is when she is completely humiliated in her first class by Professor Stromwell, because she didn't even know there was reading. Everybody else knew there was reading. Like you said, grossly underprepared. And she walks out and she meets Luke Wilson's character, um, Emmett, in the courtyard, and he kind of gives her the lowdown on the different professors and what their expectations are. Um, and what they like and what they don't like and what their quirks are. And that felt very true to life to me. 
that um the the, yeah like this professor's like Mm -hmm. this this professor's like this this professor prefers people who speak up and are opinionated i liked that part because that felt very real i think that that is very true of of law school and graduate school that professors have quirks professor stromwell makes me think of um a little bit of the the wonderful uh dr frantig at uga who at the end of um our at least in a phd level seminar class uh when i took i took non-Shakespeare Renaissance drama with her, among other classes, but she would end class with what she called the big question. And she would ask us a question, like the most famous one, the one I remember the most, is she asked us at the end of class, why should we study Renaissance literature? And we were kind of looking at her thinking, and so we start giving, right, like Sunday school answers. Well, it's valuable historically, and you know, we start kind of trying to come up with the answers we think she wants to hear, and she would just keep pushing us and keep pushing us. At least two people cried that semester, I feel like. Um, and I'm not meaning, I'm not dogging on Dr. Teague. This was great because she was pushing us to get us to the point where we would be willing to admit, I'm studying this because I love it, right? Like, I, I, we should study this because it is, it has intrinsic value and we care about it. We, we think it's valuable. And so she was kind of trying to push us to the point where we were comfortable enough and had enough confidence in ourselves to say, I'm here because I like this. And that that's was really, really interesting. It was very you know, interesting. I, this is not unrelated to the film because one of the things I loved about it was that it, it, it valorized, in a sense, different kinds of intelligences. You know, since then, we've learned these languages of different kinds of intelligences you know there's athletic intelligence what do they call it kinesthetic or you know emotional Bodily intelligence kinesthetic, yeah. yes right um which is a, a, a one way to put it um but you know she's got this major in fashion merchandising and the knowledge that she has from that ends up being pivotal right in her being able to win the case uh at the end of the of the movie so it, even the kinds of knowledge that she has is not irrelevant to her practice as a lawyer. So there's, there's, there's this kind of almost a pragmatic edge to the film where it's just like, um, you know, you have to get out of the Ivy Tower if you really want to succeed as a lawyer because you have to be able to relate to your clients. She does a better job of relating to her client because they were sorority in the same sorority and they weren't sisters, but, you know, she knew what she was dealing with. So she had special access to her client because she was a real person and not just some <clears throat> egghead, right? And I just, I loved that about the film, um, that, you know, just valorizing that different kind of intelligence. You know, and actually, um, I'm so glad you said that, Christina, because um, the end of this movie makes me think of Susan Glassbell's play Trifles. I'm not read it. I you guys have ever read that play. It's incredible. It's a one-act play. You could read it in half an hour um, from the early 20th century. But um, in the play, um, knowledge of women's work, women's things... Um, is pivotal huh. so that in the in the play you have a, a farm wife who's apparently committed a murder and there's these inspectors at the house trying to find anything that could prove she did it and with them are also some one of them is is maybe a friend of the lady and then one of them is the wife of one of the men who's there but they are looking around this room and they are seeing clues that none of the men see in uh. the way the stitching is done the way that the the canning has been like abandoned really in the middle of it's incredible. It's a, I teach it to my students. Um, and but um, but this film, the end of this film, makes me think about it because you know yeah. what, like you said, what solves the case or what gets you know the 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 real culprit to confess is 
what we would call women's knowledge, right? Something yes. she, she knows about hair care, and this is a pivotal clue. None of the male lawyers knew this information, mm-hmm. you know. Um, it's and about footwear. Yes. And about footwear. Yeah, footwear, hair, you know, hair mm-hmm. rules. And so it's it's also a kind of lifting up of what, you know, we might, some might denigrate by, you know, saying, oh, that's, that's fr- like kind of frivolous womanly stuff. And kind of, you know, asserting that, no, details matter. And, and you know, information's important no matter what type of information mm-hmm. it is. And there are different types of, of knowledge bases that can be valuable, like you said, Christina. Mm-hmm. And also empathy. I mean, the whole thing with her going uh, to, um, and now I can't remember the, the manicurist name we were just Paulette. talking about. Paulette. Yeah, Paulette, yeah. Going to, you know, her boyfriend, we're getting your dog back and using her lawyer skills, you know, but out of empathy, really understanding uh, your client, you know, I just, that's great too. Yeah. um, And I, I liked too thinking back to what, about what we were just talking about and what Sarah said about education. The very beginning of the movie, Professor Stromwell says, quotes, because it's not, I mean, it's not original to her, that the law is reason free from passion. And I noticed that this time because I was thinking that that's kind of the journey that Elle takes through the movie. I feel like, but in reverse. So I think she goes, she seems to go from passion to reason Mm. in some ways. She arrives there because of emotions. She's filled with emotion. She's heartbroken. She's filled with love. She wants to try to get her boyfriend back. And that's what gets her there is passion. Then she begins to absorb the reason of the law, right? And she begins to acquire all these, you know, abilities to argue. And she's kind of becoming more reasonable right not reasonable like agreeable but she's um she's gaining reason now in the end i think she comes back around to um the idea of passion because in her speech at the end of the film she says you know i i believe that you have to have passion to be a good lawyer but it's a different kind of passion it's not the passion she started the movie with it's not this uncontrolled Mm -hmm. emotion and need neediness it's um it's passion put to the greater good like with paulette helping her get her dog back and 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 things like that Mm mm-hmm yeah. Um, well, let's uh, we've we've been talking for a while, so let's kind of go around the horn and um, give one more. Each of us give one more thing, either your favorite part of the movie or one other thing you wanted to comment on that we haven't already said. And um, why don't you go first, Sarah? OK, um, well, one thing that I uh, was going to comment on um, was that to me, out of all of the things that you have in this movie, this kind of. supposed ditzy blonde getting into Harvard and all this stuff. I was looking at it and I was like, you know what? The most unrealistic part of this movie is the fact that apparently a crime was committed. There was a full investigation. They set a trial date that all the loyals agreed and were prepared within six months of the crime, because that's what the thing hinges on, right? Is that um, his daughter is that the victim's daughter, Chutney, which I did not, I probably just thought that was an upper East coast name when I was, 15 and saw it. I didn't realize it was essentially like naming your kid ketchup. Uh, <laughs> the daughter Chutney was like, well, your curls are still intact, aren't they? Well, that would mean that this had all had to happen within a sixth month period because if not, the clue goes out the window because she would have had a separate perm by then, right? Yeah, totally. So um, I don't know. That was the that was the thing that I noticed because uh, I was like, wait, they had the murder the trial the investigation they set the trial they're like two weeks into and it's it's been with six months <laughs> of the date um so i don't know that was the thing that i i kind of noticed <laughs> it was funny and um i guess for for the for the last thing for me i would say is that um 
I, I love any movie that is going to release, that celebrates uh, different types of intelligence and different, uh, different ways that women can be successful. And I think that this film does a really, really good job. Um, and there are a couple of things that it skewers really well, but I think respectfully. And that I didn't realize um, until this time watching it that uh, you had mentioned at the very beginning that uh, the orientation, they're all sitting around. And I was like, I think the men are just making up what they're saying. I think they're just lying. He's <laughs> like, well, you know, Stephen Hawking stole his brief history of time for my fourth grade paper. And I was like, he's just making that up to sound impressive. Um, and so that this is this is a very good movie, and I would just encourage any any listeners who have get uh, um, who have left it to uh, to the past, who's like, oh, that's a high school movie, that rewatch it. There is a lot that you'll be able to get out of it. Awesome. Thanks. How about you, Christina? Um, I think I want to say that uh, what I wish I could see more of is I'm really picky about comedies, and it's because I don't like mean-spirited things. And I like comedy that uh, that's like this, that's like um, Amy Poehler and Parks and Recreation. You don't have to be mean to be funny, um, and you can be funny in a way that promotes kindness and yeah, I, I wish we had more things like that. Absolutely. Um, I uh, talking of kindness. There's one more thing I wanted to say. One more thing that I think we that um, is is kind of remarkable about her, particularly because if you think back to what Sarah said about the caricature of sorority girls as catty and mean, um, is that Elle doesn't even she doesn't really keep a right to lose, to use the biblical language. She keeps no record of wrongs. So that when Vivian yes. finally starts being kind to her, Elle immediately yes. is, is friendly to her. She doesn't she doesn't stay angry. She doesn't keep trying to, you know, to be ugly to her. You know, if even though they were enemies, when her enemy says, I want to be friends, she says, OK, you know, yeah. and, and, and and there's no um, grudge holding. Right. Yeah. There's not bitterness. And um, and that's such a such a positive thing. One other thing I noticed this time that I never noticed before um, is that, again, it's more leveling. Right. It's more saying, hey everybody you know nobody's simple there's a scene where um l comes walking by after she decides to get really serious and she um is carrying a bunch of books and a bunch of her classmates see her and they're and they're they kind of say is she carrying books <laughs> like what um what's what's going on but um but when she walks up to them vivian and her best friend and some guys they're standing together but what the what the what the women are talking about is like chanel sweaters or something they're like saying oh i like that sweater it's chanel like so they're saying something that you would expect Elle to say. Like, you know, they're, they're, again, it's like, oh, look, here's these, you know, super smart law school girls. But what are they talking about? They're talking about Chanel sweaters because women do like clothes. That's just true, you know. And so it's, it's again, complicating those woman characters. Um, and uh, there was one other thing. Oh, and when Sarah said this is a movie for everyone, that's 100% true. I was, be listeners, before I started recording, I was telling Sarah and Christina, this movie is also a, is a favorite of mine, also a favorite of my 20-year-old brother who's a college sophomore. He loves the movie um, and thinks it's hilarious. I like it because um, I used to be a huge fan of romantic comedies when I was younger. I'm not so much now, in part because as a, as a grown woman, I don't particularly appreciate maudlin sentiment or yes. like mushiness very much. Um, and I like this movie because there's the, the little bit of a love interest with Luke Wilson's character Emmett, but there's like there's no kissiness. Primarily, at least in the beginning, it seems like they're developing a friendship. 
you know he's mm-hmm. the person who believes in her he's the one person on campus at harvard who doesn't immediately judge her by her appearance instead he just talks to her like he would talk to anybody else mm-hmm. you know he offers her advice he tries to help her he says i think she's a lot of potential right and it's only at the very end of the movie that there's any hint that this might turn romantic and i appreciate that you know because it's mm-hmm. not um i would not call it a romantic comedy maybe i mean to me it's just a good comedy um, that happens to maybe have a slate love interest thrown in at the end. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, if anything, to me, it's a it's a movie about friendship, mm-hmm. you know, and um, the different friendships that you can have. You know, she has this cross, you know, kind of um, age different differential friendship with Paulette. At, you know, at the end of the movie, there's these words that appear that tell you, like, what happened to everyone by the end of law school. But it says that she's now like best friends with Vivian. Right. Who was formerly her enemy, mm-hmm. you know, um, and and and. Um, David was and I were kind of like David was snarking a little bit about her being the, the, the speaker at graduation at the end. And I said, well, the thing you got to remember is they're not saying she had the, that she was like top of her class, though she could have been. I don't know. But that she's the it's key to me that they say she's the class elected speaker. Mm-hmm. Right. This is the person everyone wanted to hear talk because like she says at the very beginning of the movie, everybody likes me. And it's mm-hmm. true, but it's because she likes everybody. She's mm-hmm. kind to everyone. And so, you know, she's and, and I think that that is true. You know, when I was in high school. At our graduation, um, we had class-elected speakers. So our, our valedictorian, that was not who made the speech in our salutatorian. Like the two guys who, who were the top two guys in our class, they didn't make the speech because those guys, you know what, they did not, and this is not, I'm not knocking valedictorians, but those guys did nothing but study, right? Mm-hmm. And the people who, who, people who got chosen to speak at graduation were people who liked, who everybody liked because they were next to everybody, you know, then, so it's just interesting. Um, how they kind of played out they don't I feel like they don't push it so far they don't go and she was she had the best grades in her class and she beat everyone at academics you know like you know they 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 keep it to you know they play to her strengths and she's very intelligent but the but the most the biggest strength she has is a strength of relatability and kindness and connecting with other people and in a way that's very positive um well we'll, we're gonna do uh our do our last section now um, which is where we uh, recommend some things. So we're going to do passing on. So um, Sarah, what are you recommending tonight? Well, I am recommending a, another podcast. Um, it's called The Femsplainers, which is obviously a takeoff of uh, mansplaining. Uh, but it's hosted by uh, Christina Hoff Summers and Danielle Crittenden. And so I was thinking about what is something that I like that is in the vein of Legally Blonde, and one of the things I love about this is that we have these two very smart female hosts, and they they love being girly. They talk about they they love talking about their clothes and whatever pink cocktail they're drinking, but they also uh, have uh, guests on that over some very serious subjects. Um, but they're very good friends, and they're just really nice to everybody who's on there while still having really engaging questions. So yes, I'm recommending uh, the Femsplainers podcast. Thanks. How about you, Christina? Well, this is going to seem a a little bit like a mismatch, but bear with me. For anybody who might be out there who has not read Virginia Woolf's A Room of One's Own, it's must-reading because when I read it, I remember thinking, not just as a woman and as a feminist, that the main argument is you just have to be willing to be yourself and not worry about what other people think about you. But that's also true as a Christian. You just have to willing, be willing to write yourself freely as a Christian um, without worrying about how other people judge you. Uh, and you will be judged and you will be rejected. 
And and to me, this movie is is so brilliant because Elle is Elle, and she doesn't care what other people think about her. And that can be a very strong version of feminism. Thanks. Um, my uh, my recommendation tonight is a little out of left field, though it is germane to a few of the things we've been talking about because we've been talking about the idea of appearances, right, and judging by appearances. So I'm recommending this article, a fascinating article that I read on New York Magazine's The Cut website. Um, and this was from, I think, May 2018. And it's tough to know exactly what the title is because there's, there's different titles in different places. But um, the, the, the headline at the top is, Maybe She Had So Much Money She Just Lost Track of It. Um, and it's by this girl, Jessica Pressler. But basically it's the story of this woman, Anna Delvey, who... Um, spent months living in a very expensive hotel in New York City and fooling everyone into thinking she was fabulously wealthy when she was not. She was just a regular person. She was she was a con artist. But um, I lost hours, not hours, but I, I lost a lot of time one night reading the story because it makes me think of Catch Me If You Can or it makes me think of kind of famous stories of male con artists. But um, instead, it's a young woman who managed to convince so many people that she was fabulously wealthy that she, you know, she was getting job offers. She was being photographed um, hanging out with famous people. I mean, and the whole time, right, um, it was all a sham, right? It was all a lie. And um, so if you're at all interested in, you know, anything to do with con artistry or, um, you know, kind of um, anything like that, it's, it's very, very fascinating. And again, by Jessica Pressler. And um, one of the titles on this piece is How Anna Delvey Tricked New York. Um, and I think it's worth a read and it's kind of a long read, but I think it's, it's really interesting. So that's what I'm recommending tonight. And, uh, listeners, as always, we're going to link to all that stuff, uh, with the episode. So, um, thank you so much for listening to the Christian Feminist Podcast, um, and to our discussion tonight of Legally Blonde. We would love to hear from you. So if you have a topic or reading recommendations, uh, for future shows, or if you just want to drop us a line, uh, or share your favorite moment from Legally Blonde. You can do so at christianfeministpodcast at gmail.com. For show notes for this and other episodes, check out christianhumanist.org. The Christian Feminist Podcast is a member of the Christian Humanist Podcast Network. Kristen Philippic is our publishing liaison, and Elizabeth Bremner is our intern. For Christina Bieber-Lake and Sarah Kluster, I'm Katie Grubbs. Tune in in two weeks for an episode on vaccines, essential oils, and medical information. Until then, in essentials unity and non-essentials liberty and in all things love.